Ah, makes me think back to the days of old. We're not kids anymore. Back when Mark put on his black shirt and his black pants, used to go to the industrial club, listen to the KMFDM and the Skinny Puppy. And Skinny Puppy was a guy. He saved Curly. He saved Curly from the mosh pit. It was back in the day, back in the day, we're not kids anymore. Hello, you are listening to a Rattledgen Broadcasting production of our premier show, the one that started it all. Sort of. The Long Road to Ruin, and I am your host, the the Reporter. All right, then, let's mute that. (laughs) The Mandated Reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And this is The Long Road to Ruin. Uh, If you've never listened to the show before and you happen to see it uh, come up in your Facebook feed or on Twitter or someone hipped you to it or you're being held hostage and forced to... Uh, listen to this podcast as a means of cruel and unusual punishment. We are here to talk about movie franchises. Yes, movies that uh, franchises that started great and went into the ditch somewhere. Uh, that that's what we do here. And it is the Halloween season, and Halloween means ghosts and goblins by the score. Ring the bell of your front door. Better not be stingy. Your your nightmares will come true. Boo. If you've got kids, you're right there with me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you just think I'm a babbling idiot. In any case, it's the Halloween season, and Halloween means horror movies. Horror movies, folks. Uh, Slashes, monsters, things that go bump in the night. Whoever that is, turn the TV down. (laughs) Or tell whoever it is to sit still. My goodness. That's what I mean. (laughs) Thank you. Ghosts and goblins, folks. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, last year, while I was on my hiatus, uh, or hyenas, whatever you want to call it, uh, we had Robert Winfrey and Sean Comer holding it down. They talked about the Hellraiser, uh, Hellraiser franchise. They didn't use mm-hmm. the techno music I gave them, though, which, which really irked me. But they did talk Sorry. about two parts of Hellraiser. You're not on yet. Sit in the green room until <laughs> I bring you out. They talked about the Hellraiser franchise in two parts. It was great. Everyone loved it. Uh, Sean's manic ranting about uh, how the Hellraiser franchise went into uh, went into the, the ditch was outstanding. And we wish Sean Comer well. He's out there. Uh, tonight he is uh, climbing glaciers in the Arctic uh, and learning how penguins communicate with each other. He's giving them Twitter. That's, that's what he's doing tonight, folks. He's teaching penguins how to communicate on Twitter and in the Arctic, and we wish him well. In any case, this year, I'm in, I'm in control. I, I control the horizontal, and I control the vertical here on the long road to ruin. And uh, I'm keeping with the horror spirit here, um, but I'm a big sissy pants. So I have to choose my horror um, carefully. So tonight, we're going to tackle a franchise in which you never actually see the slasher. You never see the monster. The monster is death itself, and the kills look like preposterous accidents. Uh, It's not scary so much as it is just gross. And that, folks, is Final Destination. But I am not alone. I am being held by the hand by uh, two good friends here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. First, he's the vice president in charge of operations. He's my go-to man and my Masahiro, Masahiro Chono. Masa Mahiro Chono, that's what I like to call him. He's my jukebox hero. He's the uh, authority on evil. Robert Winfrey, everybody. How you doing, sir? I was doing good. Then I got to Final Destinations 3, 4, and 5. 
<laughs> just ru- just ruined your mood, huh? Well, I did have to watch them, so kind of yes. Yeah, well, we we appreciate all that you give to the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, including sacrificing your time to watch terrible movies. And speaking <laughs> of terrible movies, here's a man with a fast-growing, popular show here on the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network. He's the host of everyone uh, of uh, from the cheap seats. <laughs> Everyone loves the cheap seats. That's what I almost called it. Um, he's the host. Of, <laughs> he's the host of From the Cheap Seats, and he's the author of the Wrestling Soup. No, the the NFL Soup on uh, the, the CasualHeroes dot com. Jason Teasley, everybody. Yay, Jason Teasley. How you doing, sir? What's up, guys? Uh, you you almost fucked the dog on that one, didn't you? Um, almost yeah, fucked the dog but, on that intro. God. <laughs> Which which part of it are we talking about? Because there was there was a lot that, there was my, a lot of my whole, calls my whole intro, my whole intro. Oh, I, had, I, I, uh, I had a nice little you know ditty like you know one half of the the uh, co-hosting abilities of the most popular show ever on the Radley Broadcasting Network when we did Baby Metal and everything. You just, a, which I contribute that to your wife, not me. She actually got comments on that. Uh, there was there was one guy who left two comments on the Block Talk Radio page for that show that said, "Next time, just let your wife sleep." She had, it was a great show, but she added nothing to it. I was like, "Ouch, poor Melissa." I can imagine what the nerds will write when she's on the Lord of the Rings podcast. But that's not for another two months. We're talking Final Destination. It's Halloween season, my friends. Um, now, as I, what I like to do whenever we get into these franchises, and we're going to talk about all five movies tonight, folks. All five. I got 90 minutes to talk about all five movies, and um, we're not doing this in two parts because I just can't take it. Um, however, in two weeks we will be talking about the Mummy, but I'll get to that later. Um, what I like to do at the top of every show is kind of ask people what brought them to these movies. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a different direction tonight. I want to start with Teasley. Teasley, uh, I didn't ask you to be on this goddamn show. You uh, inserted yourself. You, you you once again like just like Baby Metal. You begged. You pleaded. You you uh, you had a Twitter poll. Uh, you you held one of my kids hostage. And so here you are. Why 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 won't you leave me alone? What what makes because, you what made you want to talk about Final Destination tonight? Well, I've infected every show on the Religion Broadcasting Network besides Ground the Pound. So I mean. And the fact that I'm a huge horror buff and I love horror movies. And any time I can get on any podcast and talk to you and Robert, I jump at the opportunity. So uh, what about Final Destination? Did you have a, an affinity for these movies before we decided to do this show? Or uh, did we hip you to them by virtue of wanting to do this show? No, I mean, I, I like the first two Final Destination. I've seen all of them repetitively. Unfortunately, three, four, and five. But... I've seen all of them, and it's just kind of a a Halloween October thing that I do. I watch all of them every, just about every year. So that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and all the uh, Friday the Thirteenth, I I just kind of veg out and marathon during the Halloween season. What do you like? What do you like about them so much? What's uh, what's the big attraction other than they fit in with the uh, Halloween horror, scary movie genre? It's the only thing that my girlfriend will watch with me because she doesn't like, she's like you, she doesn't like the whole slasher thing. So, and the fact that it, it's, it's an interesting twist on horror movies. I mean, 
you, it's kind of, it kind of revitalized the horror genre when it first came. When Final Destination came out, it was something new where you didn't really see the um, killer or anything. It was kind of omniscious. So it, it, that what kind of piqued my interest to begin with. And then it was like two came out and two was better than one. So I had high hopes for three, four, and five, and they just kept letting me down and kept going deeper and deeper and deeper into hell. Okay. Uh, Robert, I want to ask you a different question. Now, we I had you on two weeks ago to talk The Matrix, and part of the reason why we had you on that show was um, you said yes. But the other reason was, was um, you know, we, I wanted to talk philosophy, and you were able to lend a lot of uh, credibility to that conversation. Um, you certainly had a lot to say in terms of uh, how philosophy was represent different philosophies were represented in the Matrix movies. Uh, kind of the same thing here. There are themes of predestination, precognition, fate and destiny, fatalism in these movies, which is interesting because you typically don't, and maybe you'll disagree with this, but I, I would think that the horror genre doesn't really lend itself to thinking man's anything. But one of the things that I found interesting about the Final Destination, the, the first movie, after that, this just gets repetitive, but... Um, the, the whole concept of the Final Destination movies is this idea that death has a design, and if by some miracle of fate you happen to escape death's design, death will, you know, there, there's, your fate is determined. You're, you're going to get got. Um, I'm curious to see what your reaction to that is and what your thoughts on fatalism and predestination as represented in these films were. Was it good? Was it bad? Just uh kind of expound for me on your thoughts on these themes. I have a hard time talking too much about that because I believe predestination as a general philosophy to be a load of crap. Now, there's plenty of we'll people out there that <laughs> There's plenty of people out there that disagree with me and God bless you. That this is my time on the podcast so you get a bit of my views. But the notion that the notion we're presented with I feel more than well, everyone has a time when your number's up, your number's up. It's more uh, kind of instead of fate, which if we don't if we delve into a bit of the Greek uh mythology symbolism here, not symbolism. Uh, I'll use their visual representation. You had the three sisters who everyone measured fate, cut it, all that fun. You had someone spinning it, you had someone measuring it, you had someone cutting it, Clothos Adsropos and the hell was her name? I can never remember the third one. No, I can always remember Clothos and Atropos, but I will look it up later. Uh, but they, oh, anyway, the point, no, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> the point being that they determined your fate, and when it was up, it was up. This is not so much um, modifying your fate, and if you don't mind a slight example, uh, it, this is not someone having a bad feeling necessarily about uh, a plane crash or taking a different street. This is someone who is actually supposed to die. So as opposed to this falling within the realm of what humanity is able to do with free will, we're now screwing with stuff beyond our control. They're, these are, you know, glitches in the fabric of reality, of, you know, how everything is supposed to be. And our inability to control it, and that becomes a bit of a theme, and how humanity's unceasing quest to avoid their own deaths and there's a lot of there's a lot of some stuff like that that you can dig into here and only the first movie 
really tackles kind of the underlying philosophy with anything approaching a deft hand, and I have to give credit to James Wong for that. Because one, I feel, is hands down the best. I like two as well, but I think one is the best. And Wong is a director along with the writers. They're the ones who kind of put together a cohesive feel for the entire movie, and that's probably the most impressive thing about it, and one of the things that keeps the first one at least so good. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the Final Destination movies are as follows, the plots. There is going to be a huge accident uh, in the first one. A plane's going to get blowed up. In the second one, there's going to be a zillion car pileup that starts with a log being loosened from a tractor trailer and uh, causing this freeway pileup and killing everyone involved. On the third one, roller coaster accident. Fourth one, the most awesome speedway, speedway um stock car race uh, crash in the history of stock car racing. And uh, uh, the, the, what am I up to? The fifth one, Five. Uh, a, bri- the, a bridge collapses. Um, the people who are destined to be killed in these accidents, one of them has a premonition that sees the event unfold and then has, uh, then plotses essentially. And just as PLOTZ for those of you, not of the Yiddish persuasion, um, just absolutely plots and says, oh, my God, we're all going to die, and no one believes them, and then everyone dies. Um, and so they've escaped, uh, they've escaped this huge accident, and then over the course of the next 90 minutes, um, they are all killed in, in increasingly inconceivable accidents. And literally that is the plot of every single one of these movies. I mean, a damn bit of difference, except for the fifth one, there's a bit of a twist um, where instead of trying to outwit death, avoid death, intervene in death design. Uh, there's a thing about if you kill someone, you'll claim their lifespan and you'll not get killed. And that's really the only difference between them. Um, let's talk about this as a concept. Uh, departing from philosophy for a moment, here is a, a set of movies in which you never see the monster, as I said at the top of the show. Uh, you are essentially watching an invisible entity, an invisible, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Invincible, invincible monster. And this is worse than Freddy Krueger. You know, Freddy, they had to figure out, hey, if we do this, we can beat him and then, you know, take him into the real world. You know, we have to, we have to put him with the puck and, you know, and then we have to dip our hand in the peanut butter. Um, if you get that reference, you get five internets. Now, um, you know, with, with different monsters and different movies, I was always trying to figure out, well, how do you beat them? Because they were invincible until they weren't. In this particular case, they're essentially being chased down by uh, something that just isn't there. And it's, you're, you're just watching 90 minutes of people being mutilated in various and fun ways. I'm going to go over to you first, Teasley. What do you, what do you think about that as a concept, as sort of a, a take on the traditional slasher model? <laughs> it's, it's interesting, that's for sure. I mean, uh, it's that's all I can say is it's interesting. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> you, caught me, you caught me on a, one of those one brief moments that I was like, I can grab a soda real quick. My mom's talking. And about the head time, yeah, I pick up my headset. It's like, so what do you think, Timmy? That's interesting, Mark. Good, good point, point, Mark. Mark. Yeah, good point, Mark. 
good good point. Robert, um, uh, <laughs> he just got hit by the pitch. Pick up the pick up the bat and hit something. Well, it is a very interesting concept, and it's one that it's certainly not unique in the sense that these notions of cheating death, uh, seeing more than you're supposed to see, screwing up the divine plan, th- these are fundamental theories and base tenets that go back to, I mean, Greek mythology has them in spades. You get a little bit of it in Norse mythology, not as much because the Norse were a tad fatalistic themselves. Uh, very interesting dichotomy between the two philosoph- between the two uh, philosophies behind their mythology, but that's a completely different topic. Uh, but it's not again not unique, but it's an interesting. This is kind of a reintroduction of it. I mean, we talked about last time how the notion that reality is not reality is far from a unique tenant to the Matrix, but it was the reintroduction of that base tenant to an entirely new generation of people, and that's kind of what we have here: the ability well, to see beyond. Sorry, good. Well, what I want from you is, as a as a horror movie, because we as we know these are not new concepts. Um, as a horror movie, it's fine, you, and it's different because, kind of like you said, you're not fighting Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or the Cenobites or any of the great kind of horror villains, even the great horror tropes, you know, like the haunted house. Or uh, you know, location, if you don't want to talk strictly about house, or being possessed by a demon. There are clear answers to all of these things. If it's a haunted house, you get the hell out of the house. You don't want to be in the Overlook Hotel? Here's a good thought. Don't stay in the Overlook Hotel. Problem solved. <laughs> don't touch the freaking box. Don't live in, you know, get the heck out of, of uh, Springwood, because that, that's where Freddy was. Don't be a stupid teenager on a lake. Uh, I mean, there's clear ways to avoid everything except actual death, which is what this is. And that, there are certainly fatalistic horror movies or movies in the horror genre where there is no hope. There's no, I mean, if you want a depressing horror movie, the original Night of the Living Dead is about as good a one as you're going to get. The difference here is there's just pretty much nothing you can do and you touched on the other impressive thing. You don't see death. It's just this permissive, somewhat malicious force that is trying to set things right back on the cosmic trail that we have now There's a great line. from. There's a great line in 3 where the, uh, the, the, the head girl says something about, did you see how vicious that death was? The, the, it was it, he, the person didn't just die. It was a malicious death, and I really like that idea that that, that they've almost that by by defying death innocently enough because it's it isn't as if they've gone and they aren't screwing with a Ouija board. There was no intent to defy death's design in any one of these movies, um, and we are going to be talking about them as sort of a, a bunch because you know th- while there were little differences each one. They, they are all the same, so I, I, I refuse to do as the as as we would normally do is kind of tackle them one by one. We were going to be talking about them in bunches tonight. In any case, um, you know, you, they, uh, none of these movies is there an intent to screw with death. That in 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 an actual case, they are uh, the whole the whole thing with the with the premonition 
is coming to them uh, innocently. They have no idea what they're about to get themselves into, and they, they didn't know that they that they would be chosen to receive that gift or you know that curse, just depending on how you look at it. Um, and yet, and here's where I'm going with this. And yet, death is angry. The you know. No one dies in their sleep in these movies. <laughs> that would be a shitty horror movie, wouldn't it? You know, watch <laughs> as death peacefully takes people as they slumber. Now, you know, not even a heart attack here. No one, no one gets cancer and dies on these. And even one of the characters in the first movie um, mentions that. He's like, we're all going to die. But the problem here is that we're being robbed of a nice long life, and, and instead we're given a violent death. And it's interesting the first two times out. The, the third, fourth, and the fifth time are exactly – my problems with them are, are exactly my problems with the, um, with, with the snuff porn horror genre in and of itself. After a while, watching people being mutilated on screen gets boring. I, I just – I don't I, – I, well, I can appreciate sort of the artistic value in some of these – the visual concepts, the the CGI, the special effects, etc. There just comes a point where seeing people being severed in half or uh, stuck through in imaginative ways, it it gets a tad redundant, don't you think, Teasley? Now this is your opportunity to redeem yourself. Just you take it. Yeah, I mean, uh, but you you talked about the CGI and these these movies have horrible CGI. <laughs> I mean, absolutely <laughs> horrible CGI. I mean, on the scale, it, of, it, on the scale of Lord of the Rings being ten and the Phantom Menace being one, about where would you rank these? Negative uh, three hundred and sixty-five. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> even give it that much. I mean, especially in the Final Destination, which is Final Destination Four. Oh God, that awful. The, the, the CGI worst. just takes you out of the movie in the first ten minutes. But you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the line. Uh, I think it's in. I can't remember which one it is. It's actually, and I'm thinking it may have been four, where the black guy says "deja vu" is just that says something like "deja vu" is uh, life's life's way of telling you it's meant to happen. And then he's hit by a bus. So I mean, <laughs> that was five. And, yeah, it was a five. Uh, I thought it was. I was thinking it was no. It no. It's four. four. I was thinking oh, it was five. Like no, no, you're right. Nope, sorry, sorry. I'm getting my characters confused. I watched yeah, them all. Everybody's got a token. So they all black. All of, all of them have a token black guy. So <laughs> when I say the black guy, it's there's only they kind of run together. But also, um, a lot of a lot of these movies is rinse repeat. And though it, um, some of the deaths are really interesting and unique. Some of him like getting your um, ass sucked out through a by a pull filter is a little little out there. And it's a little far Yeah, it's the suction on those things is not that powerful. You know, it might have, it could have kept him down there, much less forcibly removed chunks of his intestinal tract. <laughs> but then, then you get and and. I don't know if uh, if you guys caught off. Did they not in the first one? Did the teacher not have so much overkill? It was just pathetic. I mean, <laughs> oh, let me let me, comp- speak, let me speak to that. I actually I had liked to, that. 
I had to watch a lot of this on Fast Forward, like I did with with Paranormal Activity, which is actually something I want to get to in a moment. But, um, yeah, a lot of this, it was just like the buildup to the the kill was so long, I got bored waiting for it and would fast forward. Like, oh, finally. And, yeah, the one with the teacher, I felt like that went on forever. Well, it It was the computer screen, the knives, and then her house blows up. It's like, <laughs> and then, come on. Then, then you, then you, I feel like Daffy Duck, you know, that, that the dam broke. <laughs> and then the cavalry arrived, but it was too late. <laughs> and he That's had nothing left to Looney do. one of my favorite Looney Tunes bits ever. Yes. And there was nothing left for him to blow his brains out. You know, it's getting so you have to kill yourself to sell a picture in Hollywood these days. Go on. Oh, <laughs> But and then uh, <laughs> I'm I'm still here, Mark. I was I'm on a little <laughs> delay here, so I don't talk over you guys. But gotcha. and then and then like the whole eyeball thing in three was totally ridiculous. <laughs> it was like I, I I got my eye on you, really. Oh, God, <laughs> really. And to point something out, did you know this? Who done the score in the first two? Watch. What they're famous for? No. Batman the Animated Series. Really? Oh, cool. Shirley yep. Walker. Yep. Did the score. I, think, are... I know she did one. I'm pretty sure she did two as well. Because after two, not only does the movie quality go down, but the music quality also takes a nosedive. Oh, I like the music in, in The Final Destination. I used it at the top of the show tonight. Um, I, let me, let me say this, and then... Uh, Yes, I would. Um, I would play it on the Metal Hammer of Doom every other Thursday at nine at uh, ten o'clock, featuring myself and Robert Cooper. Let me just say, I was butter. disappointed you didn't go with John Denver. Yeah, I mean he did die. <laughs> he he, and the the reason for that is John Denver did die in a plane crash, and not to Final Destination one, a plane crash is how it all begins. Until you get to five, and then. <laughs> The theme song gets worse and worse and worse (laughs) in each of these movies. And that's saying something considering we start with Rocky Mountain High by John Denver. You know, had I put some thought into it, I probably should have used John Denver, but it literally went like this. They, you know, they they blow up everybody on the racetrack in four, and then they play that theme music. I'm like, ooh, me like heavy metal. Me use on podcast. Me good. That literally was my thought pattern. <laughs> I do not doubt um, that one bit. Nor <laughs> uh, do I blame one of the you. Things, one of the things we talked about with the Paranormal Activity podcast um, early on in the show's run was the the, the concept of um, tension in a scene. And Final Destination bats about a fifty-fifty with this, in my opinion. There are some set. There are some kill setups where they do a really good job of. Uh, setting up tension, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and then finally, you know, that release when when the kill happens, and you're like, ugh, you know. And then other times, like I said, it, they just drag it out so long, you're just like, oh my god, kill her already. Um, go ahead and speak well, to as, that as Robert. a good um, well, as a good go con- as a good study in contrast with that particular point. Look at the first one. Uh, the first kill, I believe, it was the first one post disaster averted, uh, is the main character's best friend, and he slips on water and strangles himself in the bath in the, the bathtub. 
it's set up really well in that there's just enough of kind of ominous presence and how exactly is this going to happen that you're interested. And then it happens, and Petechia doesn't happen that fast, everybody, but hey, who am I to complain about how Hollywood chooses to do their things? Those of you who don't know, Petechia is when the blood vessels in your eyes rupture from being strangled. Nor does blue wa- water show up blue as it runs downhill and then <laughs> suck back up into a toilet bowl. Also, there no magic. There, there's no magic bubbles that assisting in suicide or death. But it's a really well constructed sequence in as far as you know something bad's going to happen, you're interested to see how it happens, and it delivers. Now, again, from one contrast with the teacher whose scene is protracted, goes on far too long. Then her monitor explodes, and we get a shut. This is pre flat screen plasma monitors, these are real monitors with inch and a quarter thick glass. That explodes right. and slices into her neck. Now, you can actually survive that, so the follow-up is somewhat necessary. But the point is, it just takes forever, and you're given all of these kind of disparate hints about what may or may not happen. And that, unfortunately, that's the model we get later on when you get some of the worst kills imaginable. Now... Probably my least favorite actually comes from Five, wherein the gymnast dismounts badly and somehow <laughs> fractures every bone in her body while landing on safety pads. Death alters the makeup and the consistency of these pads that gymnasts land on all the time to be something roughly similar to four-year-old set concrete. <laughs> well, and Dean even Ambrose then... Was a- Dean Ambrose was able to survive being uh, rocker-dropped. On um, sorry, curb stopped on, on the uh, you know on the stones. I guess you know there's no that reason why she couldn't. Double. That is a stunt double. Don't you don't you start that shit. I will hang up on you right now. Now the stunt double was killed on Raw. We have the real Dean Ambrose back. No, the stunt double is John Moxley. <laughs> Dean Ambrose oh, that, is still alive. Yeah, yeah. Because we all. Know <laughs> Because we all do need I, to be I, reminded of his crap in CZW as part of the Switchblade conspiracy. How about we move on? So anyway, the point the being, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, that won't actually kill about... The other one, oh, hang on, the other bad scene, and this was mentioned previously, uh, comes from, I think it was 4, uh, wherein you have the big setup in the hair salon, and then nothing comes of it, and then a rock gets thrown from the lawnmower through the lady's eye. These right. become just giant <laughs> misdirections, like, oh, oh, it's coming this way, oh, nope, nope, nope. Or the guy who survived the fire in the massage parlor only to have a giant Buddha fall. That thing must have weighed 50 to 60 pounds to actually crush his skull like that. Well, let's Ew. talk about the heat, the, the tanning beds, because I actually like that one. I mean, by the end nice of it, it got a little too long. Yeah, she had awesome tits, by the way. Yeah, that's, um, that's the only thing I can come bring out of that one. She had nice tits. Well, I, I think the setup to that, to contrast with what Robert's saying, is is they 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 set up each little thing, each uh, each step towards the kill pretty nicely. You could actually see kind of Death's hand kind of knocking things over and putting things into place, and you really did feel like you know there was a tension there, and oh my God, what's going to happen to these two? worthless human beings um, with nice tits. And, and and then we finally get there, and it just goes on too long. 
it starts off really well, and then once they actually get to the kills, it's like, all righty. <laughs> we don't need to watch them actually barbecue. Just, we, we got it. Let's, let's cut scene and move on. But I, I actually like the way that they, that, they got, that they built to it, at the very least. And there's, a, there's progressively less of that as these movies go on. By the time you get to five, there's no tension in the scene at all. It just kind of becomes, you know, about, it really becomes about running people through or hitting them with buses. Oh, look, she escaped the laser. She escaped the laser that was frying her eye. Good grief. There's actually more than five systems that have to malfunction for crap like that to go wrong. <laughs> oh, but she but broke she's broke the bottle. She slipped on the eye of the teddy bear and fell out. You can't even fall out of those windows. If you're more than two stories up, which those were, you have severely tempered glass that does not shatter just because you fall into it. Okay, so since Winfrey is is sitting here saying, hey, you know, even though this is supposed to be a horror movie, which are decidedly not realistic, let's, you know, let's do every, let's do the Rattledge and Broadcasting version of everything wrong with Final Destination. Let me ask you this, Winfrey. Part of my issue with Final Destination, with the Final Destination series, is um, if you turn your brain on for a moment, you have to ask yourself why the elaborate kills. If you know, if your death, I mean, it, it, it's it's to the point of absurdity. Death can kill you in all oh, kinds yeah. of ways, and, and if death is even going to be malicious, why does it have? First of all, why does he have to wait so long? You know, why didn't? In other words, you have. Um, you you have these people who escaped the plane being blowed up. Why not have the waiting room blow up? You know, why not? I mean, you, you've already setting up things where things are malfunctioning at an exponential rate, at an unbelievable rate. You know, things are happening around these central characters that are so ridiculous and so far-fetched that lead to their own untimely demise that you could conceivably say, well, it's death. Why can't he, why can't he do anything? And why couldn't he just blow all of them up in the uh, in the waiting room as they were waiting for their families, you know I think that that was part of what I wrestled with with this is you know at, it come it gets to a point where you're just like why don't you just drop an anvil from the sky? Why you know you're not you're not a monster literally chasing these people. You can do you're God. You can do anything you want. What are you fucking around for? Well, that's a deeply serious concern that you have raised and one that sadly is never addressed and if we had been left with just the first movie mind you now i'm okay with how they did the first one how they ended the first one the amount of mythology that they set up in their little universe it makes sense i'm okay with it i mean i'm okay with anything that kills sean william scott was that not kind of a cool that was kind of a cool death Speaking of which, I think we need to at least name our three favorite deaths from the the franchise. We will do that before the end of the show. Go on, Winfrey. You were you were in the middle of uh, addressing my point. Well, the issue becomes you have five movies, and none of them expound on anything. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, look. Triple H is out for an opening promo. Well, this will take 20 minutes. Eric Bischoff will come out and we'll make a tag team match for the main event that will end in a schmoz. Over <laughs> and over and over again with nothing changing. I mean, granted, nowadays it's 
Triple H out for an opening talkie segment. John Cena interferes. John Cena and Dean Ambrose will face some combination of Kane, Randy Orton, and Seth Rollins that will not have a definitive answer. And we will move on to do this again the next week, and the next week, and the next week. And hell is repetition! Damn it! (laughs) But... I think we struck a nerve. Just a little bit. But my I like point, when Winfrey is I, all wound up. I, this is the best Winfrey. <laughs> my point is that what they expounded on within the sphere of the first movie with, you know, we're screwing with death and death's design and we can monkey with it a little bit and all that fun stuff is good for what it is. Unfortunately, none of the other movies, the other four of them, comprising a grand total of... They're 90 minutes each. Come on. You have all this time that you could devote to expanding your universe. Delve a little bit more into the mythology that you wish to put forth. Don't just do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And that's all they do. And it's deeply frustrating. You have the girl who acknowledges that these are particularly violent deaths, angry deaths, and it's said, it's acknowledged, and at no point is it ever expounded upon. There's no, there's, they don't ever delve into it. Um, and you know, you partially explain that away by saying, well, they were also trying to figure out how how to live. You know, they knew that any that at any moment um, an anvil was going to fall from the sky and kill them, so they had to figure out what they were going to do and figure it out pretty quickly, or under the gun, I mean, so to speak. But the but closest still, thing we get to exposition or explanation comes in the form of Ali Lauder's in the second Final Destination, wherein she functionally repeats everything they learned in the first one without adding anything to it. It's more about, well, for those of you who missed the first one, here's what's going on. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) last week on Final Destination, our heroes. Um, Yeah, I think that was my, my problem with it was and and you could really attribute um you know hollywood's one of hollywood's biggest errors that they do it's the the more dinosaurs effect isn't it Oy. it's boy did we have that you know more dinosaurs more 3d dinosaurs more bad cgi dinosaurs right you know people the point where I, we I, actually have someone not... utter the line i was meant to see this movie it's <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever these movies after the first one, in parts of two, and definitely throughout the rest of them, they're just poorly written. Not, not just bad well, dialogue, I... which is one thing, though there is plenty of that. Again, I will forgive that because a great number of these feature teenagers, and we all know teenagers suffer from severe brain damage. But <sighs> so the dialogue being bad, all right. Uh, it's a horror movie. I don't expect Shakespeare. I'm I'm okay with this. But just the, they're poorly paced, they're poorly written, they're poor, there's poor exposition. There's just very little good, especially in 3 and 4. And it's what I was going to say is, for, for, people who, for people who don't know, um, More Dinosaurs was a phrase I coined when we did the Jurassic Park trilogy. Um, I believe it was last year. And uh, I said that because Hollywood tends to make the error of not understanding what works. You know, Hollywood is a lot like Vince McMahon doesn't really understand why something is working, but thinks it's a good idea to just repeat the thing that worked over and over and over again with no context and none of the, none of the factors or variables that made it work the first time. So, in essence, instead of doing the things that made Jurassic Park work originally, in the second and third movies, they just threw in more dinosaurs. And that was it. 
And you, you get a lot of this in Hollywood movies. So instead of taking a deeper look at to what, was, what made Final Destination so successful, why did people flock to this movie? Why, why did they have a connection to it? They don't bother to answer any of those questions. They don't care, or they think they do know, and they think, oh, why people went to go see these movies? Elaborate kills. So let's add more elaborate kills. And that's all these movies end up becoming instead of really tackling the concept of how do you deal with death? How do you deal with a predestined fate? Why does death have to be so malicious? Why, why can't you die peacefully? Um, another issue I had with these movies, again, in traditional horror movies, as I said at the top of the show, um, what drives the plot is how are you going to defeat the monster? How do you defeat a guy who's attacking you in your dreams? How do you defeat a zombie chasing you through a forest with a machete? How do you defeat a guy chasing you through a house with a chainsaw? Um, you know, what do you, what do you do with all of these things? Uh, and, and that's what drives a lot of the plot in a movie that doesn't have a traditional villain who is, uh, invincible. You have characters sort of struggling to deal. What, what made the first one interesting for me was they were really struggling with how are they going to defeat this thing? How would they survive? And some really great questions got asked. You know, you have the one douchebag character uh, who almost amounts to a villain in this. He's the bully, uh, the jock bully character, if there was ever a trope in a movie. Uh, Only a brain-damaged teenager, specifically the senior jock in high school, would ever utter the phrase, I'm never going to die, ever. (laughs) No, dumbass, you will. We all die. But he's the one that turns around and says... um, you know, if this thing is meant to kill us all, why don't I just kill myself? At least then I'm in control, which I liked. I thought it was an interesting take on it. And of course, that introduces the idea of you will not cheat death out of uh, you will not cheat death out of the death he's designed for you uh, by killing yourself. And so he thwarts their suicides. Death should come work in my jail. It would make my job a lot easier. But that's a different podcast. Um, so, <laughs> so you have this idea of. Uh, they spend all of this time, you know, trying to figure out, well, if we, you know, you have the kid uh, figuring out who died in what order on the plane, and then and that, that brings up the order and how they're going to deal with all of that. And then ultimately, how are they going to escape the fate of dying violently? And it's interesting the first one or two times they play, they toy around with it. By the third time, they hadn't come up with anything new, and the fourth one was the, was the same thing. And then it's only the fifth one where they toy around with the idea of, you know, you can escape this by killing somebody else. But by God, the third and fourth movie were, were made boring by the fact that there's no conflict. You have no conflict. You have no way of defeating the bad guy. You can't even confront the bad guy in, in those movies. At least in the first two, they gave it a shot. What do you, what do you think about that, Teasley? Well, I mean... It's it's interesting because you don't really have um, a physical villain to confront and try to figure out. But if I'm not mistaken, in two wasn't the order reversed? Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't explain why it's reversed. It just nope. says, "Oh, yep, we're just going to reverse." And then they 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 uh, I guess the uh, the guy that survived in the first one didn't think thought he'd become a big enough star so he didn't have to appear in the second one. So they killed him off with a newspaper. 
and everything. I mean, it it gets ridiculous uh, of all the plot holes that it has, and it's I don't know. I mean, it's an like I said, interesting concept because you don't have that physical being and you got to outsmart it, but they never expounded on it because they could have went down a lot of different avenues and made these made these so much more interesting. What do you uh, think about that, uh, Robert? The, the complete lack of conflict in the uh, the third and fourth movie, and the attempt to create a conflict out of an invisible villain in the first two. Well, you can have an invisible villain and have it work. I mean, some of the best horror movies feature the protagonist taking on either things that aren't there necessarily, or things that are forces of nature. I mean, I love disaster movies, and you can't fight an earthquake. You get movies where... I'm trying to think of another example. Well, anything... A lot of the... Uh, when you were dealing with... Uh, when germ warfare was a big deal, and that people dealing with infections of various varieties, movies of that nature, you can be perfectly tense without having an external protagonist, provided the circumstances are right. And one and two generally do that. Here, I'll one give you an example. The, the, the Oblivion, um, I think it was the name of the movie. The one where um, where uh, what's her face um, is in space with George Clooney, and the the space and the space station uh, no, is just falling apart. The scene. That is Gravity, but it's Sandra Bullock gravity. and George Clooney. Oblivion stars okay, Tom so, Cruise. Okay, so Gravity being a great example of a, of an invisible protagonist. It's essentially a space station falling apart and them having to deal with it and not be impaled while in space. Well, and I. Is kind of in the same vein. How much of Jaws is there tension without ever seeing the shark? That's a really good example. You don't need... Probably... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, that's probably going to be next year's um, horror franchise for the for October. Dibs. Done. Move on. <laughs> but anyway, the point being, you don't have... It doesn't have to be a negative. There's plenty of opportunities with the invisible... Uh, villain to have interpersonal conflict or interesting discussions or situations arise. There's all these things you can do that work and work well. Unfortunately, we don't get any of those. If you, I mean, Look at one wherein you have a little, you have some interpersonal conflict between some of the survivors in that stupid jock does not wish any of this to be happening and no, I'm in control of my own life. And then you have some of the story from the other characters and you flesh out everything very well and your overarching kind of ominous presence just kind of makes you feel for the characters and makes you not wish them to fall under all this harm. Now, granted, some of them you do want to see die. I cheered when Sean William Scott was decapitated. I always do. Mm-hmm. But you get into three, for example, and there's no interpersonal conflict. There's no... Well, you do have a bit of interpersonal conflict. The it black kid is obnox- is overly obnoxious, and he's particularly mean to the star white girl. You also have a bit of interpersonal conflict with Perfect Tits and her friend, and uh, and the same girl. Yeah, they, but they, they die mu- immediately, and we see right. the, the jock athlete very infrequently. And but the he does point have being, a pretty cool death scene. <laughs> he gets his head crushed by weights. Well, everyone around him, 
Are are like high school football locker rooms actually like that? I have no experience with this. Is that an accurate? Um, what, 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 what are you, what are you centering on exactly? What are you, what are you focusing on? I don't know. Just testosterone infused meatheads pumping iron, screaming irrationally. Screw whatever opposing mascot we'll be facing this week in whatever sport this happens to be. Yes, uh, for the most part, yes. Oy, I'm so glad I avoided that particular bit of the high school experience then. It would have just made my ears bleed. Anyway, <laughs> on point, all of the things that made one and to a lesser extent two successful as far as what the people do with each other, the questions they ask, the dialogue they have, situations that arise, is completely absent. And it's a it's a huge shame. And it's the primary reason these movies kind of fall apart is when you get to three and four and to some extent five, you're no longer watching these movies to see characters. Like you mentioned, you're now watching them because Hollywood is not the studio. I won't say Hollywood. That's a slightly overgeneralization. But the studio and the people involved have decided we're only going to show you elaborate kill scenes reminiscent of the game Mousetrap which never worked properly, incidentally enough, to anyone who's ever played it. But, and... These felt like, these, these felt like movies like Hostel, or, um, now I know you and Sean, while I was away during the Jonas Exodus, talked about Saw, and uh, Saw, Saw starts off uh, a little less mousetrappy and more uh, interesting, and then becomes very mousetrappy towards the end. So I don't want to talk about Saw as such, because you guys... I think did a really good job of no, but, pulling the good out of that. Well, your point I is think, still like, completely accurate. It's the Saw franchise, and I'll delve briefly in so I can make my parallel here. Starts off with interesting scenarios. Granted, some of them can be violent, but you have an interesting scenario. You have a cast of characters that you're supposed to actually care about. You have tension being built. You have all these things that make it successful, and then you get people involved don't understand what made it successful, and we'll throw in more traps. And at that point, it's not interesting. It's just, oh, I wonder how they're going to die now. And that's not interesting. With the well, first again, it end, becomes porn. Yeah, it, it, it's pure you know, Porn is not interesting. You're, you're just watching, you know, depending on the... I mean, the, there's a kind of uh, porn called Gonzo, where uh, it's just one sex scene after another, and there's there's no even semblance of a, of a plot. There's nothing. It's literally one sex scene just goes to another with no wraparound. Um, it, it, it's, it's, like, it's like 90 minutes of techno music, only it's fucking. Okay? That's gonzo. At least as I've always understood it. Well, um, that was and, and the method, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a little yeah, weird. That, that, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that. But that's what these movies feel like to me. They they start off as movies and then they become gonzo. You just replace the sex with murder. And that's, yeah, that's not interesting not, to me. No, it's not. And that's a very accurate analog here. There's just nothing. You get, there's no interesting characters. There's no interesting story. It's just, here's a disaster. It's averted. Now these people are going to die horribly. And here, let's watch. <laughs> right. And so I, I go back to Teasley, and this is not to set you up in, in sort of a negative way, but I truly want to pick your brain about this, Teasley. You say you watch these every Halloween season. Um, why do you like porn so much? 
<laughs> well, you know, it gives me something to do in my free time, and uh, and I and I'm and I've got to put a couple of Jergens kids through college. <laughs> you know what I mean. I answer the question appropriately. <laughs> oh, 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 I was giving you my honest answer why I like porn. Um, why do I like? Don't be so this dang kind of, literal. This yes, is why, this kind of porn. Uh, I never said I liked it. I just said I because this is how I start the Halloween season it's it is um it's kind of like the uh PG era that you know you you have to not really turn your brain on and then I work up to things like and I I, I know Robert wants to talk about this because he played such a good scary guy is the guy that's in the Final Destination movies but he played Candyman Darn right, Tony Todd. Candyman is, to this day, scares the living hell out of me. Why? Because it's just scary as shit. But it's one of the movies I've watched kind of later on in the year. I just I start slow and build up to the good stuff. And Candyman, opposed to this, is it actually makes you think. It actually kind of actually has a gr- better story than three of the Final Destination movies. Because once you get to three, it's like you don't really give a damn about any of the characters, especially in four. In four, they they didn't even care about the characters because it was like, in the credits, I'm pretty sure it says, Redneck Girlfriend. And <laughs> shit like that. I'm, I'm almost positive I've seen that somewhere. That's I, I probably didn't. true. And, I mean, they didn't even give their characters fucking names. It was like Redneck Girlfriend, Racist Redneck. It's like, really? You don't care about the characters, so why should we? And uh, and that's what works. In you want to build up your your characters so you do care for them. So you want to see them overcome the, the quote-unquote big bad and the evil that's present. But... In Final Destination, it's like, after two, it's like, eh, I just want to see how these assholes are going to die, and hopefully it entertains me. Well, I guess that's what I'm asking you, is why is it entertaining to watch people die, in your opinion? Because cause I'm a sick fuck, and I I like it stuff. I mean... Okay. I like seeing children get crushed with jump panes of glass. I I don't know. Okay. Now look, that's that's perfectly acceptable. Someone is, I'll turn this around and answer the question as I asked it instead of, you know, being cheeky. Um, you know, if someone said to you, you know, Rattledge, why do you like porn? Um, I I like to see tits. Tits are wonderful. I enjoy them. I big or small, um, lopsided, it doesn't really matter. Third nipples, I don't care. I like to see tits and I like to see them hang and bounce and flop and you know, and, and and I like to see them engaged in some sort of fornification, and I and if that's all that's on the screen, I'm going to get bored eventually. But you know, but I can watch it for at least you know a period of time. And so, I you know, there is if you find something visually appealing enough, whether it's people being mutilated or tits or whatever, you know, you you it's understandable that you could watch it for at least a set period of time before. Okay, I have to have something a little more engaging here than just something that's visually appealing. Um, and that's kind of why I drew that comparison. Uh, Robert, you wanted to weigh in here? Well, I was just going to say, you get 
the only redeeming quality, if you can call it such, for some of the later entries is, for want of a better phrase, the logical extension of crap like America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm decidedly pro-slapstick and have been since I watched said program with Bob Saget hosting it way back in the early 90s. When Bob Saget and that's was all, And that's all we've got here in some of these later movies is, well, let's see how interesting we can make this. And on its own, okay, it's fine and dandy. I suppose part of my severe disgust with some of these is I watched all five of them back to back to back to back in a marathon setting. A great deal of my distaste would have remained no matter what because they're poorly made and full of bad CGI and crappy 3D being stuck in there and bad dialogue and poorly drawn characters and all the things that I dislike in movies. But I suppose I might not have felt as aggravated by them had I had, you know, three years between one and two, or two and three, to just decide, you know, I feel like watching some gory slapstick comedy, which is basically what these turn into. Sure. These are um, gorier versions of, like, the Three Stooges. You know, the Three Stooges are all pratfalls and hijinks and slapstick. Um, Really, I think the Final Destination movies would would have been better movies set to the Benny Hill theme. Yakety sack. That's what's missing in a lot of these. You know, we talk about we talked about um, uh, about the old cartoons that are now gone from Saturday mornings and how they incorporated classical music. Could you imagine? You know, the uh, the, the 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 girlfriend saying in the first movie, like, "Why don't you all just drop dead?" And she gets hit by the bus, and it's followed by a wah 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 wah. You know that sort of thing. Um, Well, the first, I I, I understand, hang on, I'm just going to disagree slightly about the first one. One of the things that makes the first one so good is that everyone mm -hmm. involved has a deft touch with melding horror with a little bit of self-referential humor, a little nod to the audience. It's not blatant, this is not, you know, scream stuff. It's subtle, and it's more the atmosphere and mood that is cultivated. And that's not surprising when you consider... That first of all, James Wong had a long history associated with the X Files uh, television series, and some of the very best episodes of the X Files have that same feel to them. They're you don't, they're still serious, and you still you know are invested in the characters, but there are moments of levity. There are you know there's a little bit of we know what's going on here from the you know, the audience standpoint, and it's just enough to create a mood as opposed to destroy your ability to enjoy the show. And uh, the writer initially wanted to submit the basic premise of the Final Destination movies to the X-Files as an episode. Uh, Someone told him this is better as a feature movie. But uh, the point being, everyone involved knows how to properly balance all of those elements. And when you get further along, they have no idea how to do it. They just decide, well, we think this will be funny. If we kill someone this way, how do we set it up? What's the uh, good old Rube Goldberg machine we can put together for it? And, oh, wait, we've done that before. How can we uh, change this a little bit? Oh, we'll set it up this way and then have something completely unrelated actually cause death. That'll screw now, up the these audience. Are, these are supposed to be horror movies. And one of the things I was thinking about while I was on the shitter today was how these are not scary movies. I was not frightened at all, even though there was tension set up. Um, I mean, there's tension set up in scenes on the Big Bang, ser- on the Big Bang Theory. That doesn't mean it's a scary television show. Um Tension doesn't necessarily equal scary. And so as I sat there on the pooper, I thought to myself, I remember 
uh, watching the Paranormal Activity movies and being legitimately frightened. And those movies stay with me even today uh, as they play on my internal anxieties. And I, I look at that and I go, what, you know, it's one of the reasons why I enjoyed doing the, that two-part episode was we really, got to, we really got to sit there and kind of play around with the, you know, the concept of uh, bu- uh, building on one's anxieties and setting up tension and, and dealing with sort of real-world fears as opposed to these movies, which, again, they're not scary. It's, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to tackle them. Uh, because I wanted to see, like, what do you what you call something a horror movie because people die in violent ways and they're supposed to be scary, but but they're not. Um, and and I and I found that to be an interesting thing that that, that because you don't because where else are you going to put? It's not an action movie, you know. Where else were you going to put Final Destination but in horror? But these are not classically scary movies. I am not afraid that you know Jonas is going to knock over something, which is going to knock over something else, and a whole domino effect will happen, and my house will suddenly burst into flames. I- I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not afraid of that happening. Um, at least in two, the you know the idea that a log might come loose on an 18 you know, that is a real world fear. But the rest of this stuff. You're not likely to die in any of the ways that they show people dying uh, in any one of these movies. So it it becomes just sort of, like I said, watching pornography. Go ahead, Robert. Well, first of all, as far as horror goes, I have to always, when discussions like this come up, there are two things that I feel qualify something for horror movies. Not me personally, I have a different categorization, but generally speaking... The first thing being, if it involves anything supernatural, people tend to stick it in the horror genre, just as a general rule. The exceptions being, if you have created an entire world wherein the supernatural exists, in in that case you've now delved into the realm of fantasy or science fiction, depending on, you know, where you fall as far as that goes. But generally speaking, if you're dealing with the supernatural, they throw it in in the horror genre. Second of all, as far as this movie goes, I always, and in, in, in all discussions like this, I have wind up falling back on Stephen King's classification of horror stories, whatever the medium happens to be. The best stories fall into the category of terrifying you. They get into your head, and for weeks, months, years, they live there, scaring you at various opportunities. They hit you on every possible level, whatever their medium happens to be, and they frighten you for a long time, and they're thought of very well, things like that. Then, the next level down, you have movies that horrify. These tend to be... uh, It's not even about, you know... It's about how things are wound up executed. These are movies that tend to be... They scare you as you're watching them, or as a story as you're reading it, but they're very localized. Uh, For example, uh, one of the favorite movies I uses an example of this, is Poltergeist. It's a scary enough movie while you're watching it. Once you're done watching it, there's nothing really that lingers with you that maintains that level of anxiety or that succeeds on any deeper level. Most movies in this... Most horror stories are scary, tend to fall into the horrifying genre, the horror genre, that subset. And then finally, you have the gross-out which is the chest burster scene from Alien, Hostel, later entries into the Saw franchise. Their only purpose is to throw as much crap on screen as possible and try to get a reaction out of you. 
And anything that falls into that category of storytelling, if it involves violence, winds up in the horror genre. That's how they are, for whatever reason, classified. And that's why they fall into that categorization. It's not accurate. These are not, like you said, they're not scary movies. They're moderately interesting, and they feature a few grotesque deaths. But in terms of actually trying to scare you, no. I, I don't think they succeed on anything approaching a legitimate level. Well, let no, me hop no, in right here. You said that, Mark, you talked about things that wouldn't scare you. I experienced something that, from Final Destination, still scares the living hell out of me. Because I look up and I'm following the log truck, and the only thing I can think about is Final Destination 2. <laughs> That's I, I fair. The log truck in the, in, the, in, the, in the highway, the freeway pileup, is about as believable uh, um, uh, anything that I'm going to see. Even the plane crash I thought was ridiculous. Um, yes. To this and, day, to this day, my mother will not get on a roller coaster because of Final Destination Three. Yeah, I, as a person who's been on many roller coasters in my lifetime, um, you you are not likely, unless death is personally messing with it, you are not likely to die violently as they did. Um, I mean, I don't know if either one of you have ever been to Brooklyn uh, and ridden the, uh, the the wooden roller coaster at Coney Island, but you certainly feel like you're going to be throw, thrown, you know, 50 feet from the damn roller coaster, but you're not. The thing is safe. You know, the, the number of safety precautions on a roller coaster, that, that nice little console they have, doesn't just start it or stop it. There are all kinds of sensors and safety things on it that prevent accidents like what they had happening. Had the hydraulics actually failed on that, the brakes, the manual non-hydraulic brakes, would have activated, would have locked it down safely, and everything would have been fine. Uh, the plane explosion is, by and large, equally preposterous, I feel. The number of fail-safes... Now, granted, this is pre-9-11, and it is a French airline, so allowances do have to be made as far as that goes. But by and large, the number of safety features on an airplane that have to fail are catastrophic. And finally, as a brief aside, no, wrecks like that will not happen at any... Th at any almost, I'd say any motorsporting event in the United States. Uh, no, no, hang on. Road rally racing in... You're in a Europe is crazy, and people do get hurt seriously observing that because they get to stand right there along the road that people are traveling, you know, extraordinarily fast along, and that happens. But the only realistic accidents that are avoided are the freeway pileup, even that's a tad tricky, but by and large, and the bridge collapse, even though, again, we're dealing with a monumental number of safety features that would have been put into place. On the whole, I accept that that's something that might actually happen. The others are just, hey, this is a fun disaster for them to avoid. Sure. Um, and I think to a degree they do play on the anxiety of, you know, the people do feel with roller coasters, albeit um, unnecessarily. You know, people do feel like they might die in a roller coaster accident. And, I mean, look, I have a friend to, the, to this day can't get on anything more violent than the teacups because he'll get sick. Um, and, you know, he has such a high high level of fear when it comes to uh being out of control you know and and to to think that you're out of control on a roller coaster is to give way too much credit to roller coasters but he does um never ne never let it be said that anxiety is something that makes a whole ton of sense um 
you know, the idea that you might die in a 50-car pileup because a log got loose on an 18-wheeler is definitely believable. Uh, there are people who won't get on an airplane. I had a cousin who did not make it to my first wedding, um, and she was a lucky one. I wish, I, I, I wish this had happened to me. She apparently had an anxiety attack and didn't want to get on the plane. This person has since gone to Korea and Spain, but that's a whole other podcast. In any case, there are people who... Um, who do have an absolute fear of flying and they feel like the plane's going to crash um, and, and they just won't get on a plane. Um, I, don't know how, I don't know how many people have a fear of crossing over a bridge, but if you've ever had the dubious honor of uh, driving over uh, the Sunshine Skyway in, in Tampa, it's like being on a roller coaster ride. This thing goes almost 90 degrees straight fucking up. Um, you know, and you drive and planes pass you and then you go back down again and you're like, oh, all right, who designed a bridge like this? And it's, be- you know, it's because it's in Tampa Bay. Uh, the Throg's Neck Bridge. Where nothing makes sense. <laughs> the Throg's Neck Bridge is another one where um, it, 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 there's, the, there's the bridge, there's the end of the bridge, and then there's the water and, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. And you're sitting there like, oh, this is not fun. So, you know... I don't know. I think when you're on certain bridges, it might be that thought of, I don't feel safe. But I don't know how many people have an active anxiety of crossing bridges. Um, what, what am I missing? vampires. <laughs> um, the speedway thing is stupid. As <laughs> it, um, and, and, but, but I think that was the, I think four was the only one where I was just like, now who's got, no, 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 who's, what anxiety are they basing this on? People afraid to go to NASCAR events? Come on now. Um, I've hit all the main topics that I want to hit. I'm going to let you guys uh, kind of uh, take an opportunity to bring up anything you might have wanted to talk about or um, uh, any last words before we start to wrap this up. I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Captain Talkative. Teasley, anything <laughs> left unsaid, <laughs> topics you want to discuss regarding these movies, uh, it, it's your podcast now. Hit it. <laughs> if it's my podcast, it's putting in the shitter real quick. Um. No, I, I mean, I'm just curious what you guys take as uh, some of your favorite deaths through the, through the uh, franchise. Uh, my favorite's The Freeway, by far. Uh, I love the way that, that it was shot. Uh, I know Robert was on was on Facebook today ranting that, you know, cars don't burst into flames like this is a fucking episode of The Simpsons. They um, don't. The way they, the way they do in that scene. But I enjoy the magic of Hollywood. It's still well-constructed. I just don't think there's any way a Trans Am running into the... decapitating, essentially, the top part of the car, uh, the roof, basically, onto the bottom part of an empty log truck, in any way causes an explosion. And I don't believe I have ever been wrong about that particular set of circumstances. What you don't know is that Trans Ams are made of mostly oil. In any case, um, my favorite, I mean, by a country mile, my favorite death scene in any of the Final Destination movies is the the highway, the, the freeway pileup. Um, it's constructed Sorry. masterfully. It's it's enjoyable. Um, I'm not particularly frightened in any way by it, but I, I, I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I decided that we were going to do the Final Destination series is because while I was working in a rehab in Brooklyn a few years back, um, they happened to be showing this movie in the lobby because the people who ran the rehab didn't make any sense. And I saw, and I didn't know anything about Final Destination, 
Um, because what better movie to play to a bunch of people recovering from serious drug addiction? In any case, uh, I, 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 I didn't know what The Final Destination was. It wasn't one of those movies I'd ever watched, and this is going back to like 92, uh, 2002, 2003, I think. Um, in any case, no, wait, what, yeah, maybe? Yeah, do the, when did I move? Anyway, yeah, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Um, and so I'm watching, uh, I'm watching this movie, not, in, not knowing what it is, and I'm just seeing this huge like, uh, pile-up in, in the movie, and, you know, and people being smashed with logs and other cars and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. What am I watching here? And you know, it's Final Destination. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, someday I'll go back and watch this. And so you know, 14, 15 years later, here we are. Um, I, I think as far as any other deaths or kills and anything like that, uh, I enjoy every time someone got hit by a bus. Well, that's always yeah. good. For yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were always interesting. I enjoyed those just for the sheer hilarity of it. <laughs> hey, up yours! Beep. Um, I like the way uh, I think it's four ends. Um, you know, four ends with the uh, with the truck crashing into the cafe, and uh, then oh, it goes on. into the X-ray. Uh, the, uh, You're the, actually going to say you enjoy the movie that ends with the basic tenet, with the basic premise of so the FBI knew the CIA was setting up the DEA. Oh no, I don't care about that. I said I like the way that it it, it switches from real life to the uh, to the skeletons. I I, I like the way that looked. It was a very okay. visual thing, and, and that's what I liked. The fact that he's sitting there saying, "Oh my God, do you think it, do you think death planned it so that we'd all end up in the same place? Watch out for that tree!" You know, I, I don't fucking care about any of that. I just like, "Ooh, I, look, computer skeletons." Nice George of the Jungle reference. Oh, I'll give you that. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, we're getting ready for Brendan kills. Fraser's. <laughs> uh, um, Probably my favorite individual is I mentioned it already the kid who strength who winds up uh, hanging himself in the bathroom. It's just out there enough that you know you're in for you know random coincidence and unlikely scenarios. At the same time, there's a degree of yeah, you know I can see that happening. And what was the other one I really liked? Uh, anytime Sean William Scott does. So yeah. <laughs> All right. What about your 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 most laughable uh, the, death? It, well, it, it's a part of it's a part of the fourth one, um, and it's that uh, the sequence of the um, the disaster at the raceway where the engine hits the woman in the rib cage. It's such a fake <laughs> engine. It's so damn fake. <laughs> what about the guy that just randomly flies like <laughs> half a, a quarter mile and just levels of the lady. Four, four was laughable. All in itself, especially the escalator. The escalator in four was hilarious. Um, no, I love the engine. I could watch that over... I could watch that one bit over and over and over again. The engine flying and hitting the woman and her just kind of... Before she dies, her just like looking like, why me? You know, like, I wanted her to hold up a sign that said it. That was her actual reaction <laughs> to being in the movie. It had nothing to do with the scene. <laughs> You know, I could I could watch that over and over again with her holding up various signs. You know, why me? Yipe! Eat at Joe's? Anything? Just any? Just keep holding up different signs every time she gets hit with the engine. Speaking of the engine, the engine block to the head was pretty cool. In three, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. That was interesting. 
And the uh, the grill explosion at the end of two was I I laughed my ass off at it. Where the guy where the kid goes over and checks the grill and it explodes and the arm comes <laughs> and lands on his mom's plate. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that so was, ridiculous. That <laughs> uh right, Robert, same question to you. Oh god, most ridiculous. Most laughable. Uh, probably in five, uh, the girl who has the laser eye surgery. Not just because everything, first of all, everything that happens in there is so ridiculously improbable. I mean, just ridiculously so. And, and I'll go along with some of the other ones, like, okay. But that one is just like, no, 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 doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. And then to cap it all off, after she falls out of the window, down onto the car, her good eye has somehow popped out of her skull and has been run over by a passing car. (laughs) It's the most ridiculously laughable thing. Okay, that and also from Five, the gymnast fail. I've seen people like that fall before, just like that. It's not fatal. That's the one that, that absolutely took me completely out of that movie. She lands on the safety pads. Granted, it's not a pleasant landing, but there's nothing about that scenario that should have led to death. Not a darn thing. It certainly wouldn't have led to multiple compound fractures of the femur. All right, all right. Take it easy. Take a break, Donald. Um, has, have either of you ever seen Amazon Women on the Moon? No. no. Sadly, no. Oh. <laughs> we might. While we're doing plugs, I want you both to do the same thing, and we'll do plugs early enough that that uh, that you can both do this, and, and maybe this will work. Um, go on YouTube and look up Arsenio Hall versus the Apartment Amazon Women on the Moon. Because that scene could have been its own Final Destination movie, and some, and the reason why I'm bringing those that know know exactly what I'm talking about. Arsenio Hall versus the Apartment is very much like like some of the scenes in Final Destination, where you have all of these improbable things happening to one person that ultimately ends with them falling out of a window or some shit. Um, Was it Arsenio Hall versus the Apartment? Yes. Hmm. Um. Robert, while you're doing that, uh, any last words, thoughts, um, anything left unsaid about these movies other than you don't fall off the uneven bars that way and die in that fashion? Well, I had I, I didn't get to name my two ridiculous ones. One was uh, one was just the uh, the uh, of course I stated earlier the whole pool incident where he has pink blood. <laughs> Hot, hot pink blood shoots out of the. Uh, That's it. I was. I think it was you who brought. It was you or Jesse. No, it, was, uh, it was Jesse who asked me to watch, be on the lookout for pink blood, <laughs> since I was yep. mocking the movie for all of its improbableness and its and, bad CGI. And, and he brought that, up pink blood because yeah, pink blood before, was on the final Saw movie. It was just and so before bad. that. Uh, they they did this instance so much better in Resident Evil, was the uh, where the air tank explodes and pushes the guy through the fence. Oh, that was so bad! <laughs> lady, oh, I imagine even in 3D that looked bad. Oh, okay, that was awful. All right, 
plugs wise, uh, I'll go ahead and do them while I'm trying to find this. Uh, Mark, this is something that I, I'm unsure of, so I don't know what night I'm actually on now. But you can find you're me on either Tuesdays. on Tuesdays. Oh, you're on is Tuesdays. From now on. Uh, well, are, I, I well, thought this, it was just a one-time you, shot. No, uh, we yeah, Gavin. Well, two things. One, Gavin said that it was going to be a permanent thing, um, so we're moving the Russell Cash recording to Tuesday nights, which means um, the Whiskey Rebellion has moved to Wednesdays. So we have to swap places with you. So now the Chief Seats is on Tuesdays. Okay, well, Tuesday nights, you can join me and Jesse Starcher uh, from the Chief Seats. And sometimes we even get Robert Cooper to show up when he's not smuggling Mexicans into Lowe's parking lot. Uh, also, you can catch Jesse with uh, his Source Material comic cast. Uh, he's uploading those on Monday nights. Uh, and, you know, I like to... You know, remind everybody, we do have a new uh, podcast joining our ranks. It's uh, Screaming Boy Productions. They're a movie podcast, and I should be making a guest appearance to welcome them to the Rad Legion Broadcast Network probably this Sunday, so it should be up. I should be uploading it for them to our site later on, uh, later in the week, next week. And other than that, I have nothing. All right. Did you find Arsenio Hall versus the apartment yet? Yeah, I have it up. Okay. You go ahead and hit play. Um, Robert Winfrey, your plug, sir. Well, before I do my plugs, I just want to mention the last thing that I feel I need to discuss, and it was brought up briefly before on this show, is uh, Tony Todd, who plays the mortician Mr. Bloodworth in these in a couple of these movies, three of them, one, two, and five. Provides He's the closest thing to a villain. He provides some voice acting in three. He does the voice of the devil for the devil's flight, and then uh, he's the train announcer at the end. I believe he does the conductor's voice. Uh, There are certain people who just have presence designed to be exploited and used in horror movies. Uh, Robert England absolutely has that, by and large. Anthony Hopkins has it if he wants to. Of course, he's just a fabulously talented actor. Uh, Lance Henriksen, uh, just a fantastic horror-based actor. He has a look, he has a voice, he has a feel that are best put to use in a horror environment. Tony Todd has that about as, to a degree, almost unheard of. From the sound and the quality of his voice, to the way he looks, to his presence on screen, everything just screams... He should be in horror movies in one fashion or another, generally as the villain. And uh, Jason mentioned the Candyman franchise where he plays the eponymous character Candyman. And he's just he can be downright terrifying if he so chooses to be. And his inclusion, it was a great choice. It was a great bit of casting. Uh, he, his lack of appearance in 3 and 4 definitely hurts those movies. Uh, to a substantial degree. So I just needed to praise him. I mean, another guy who, he's on screen five, ten minutes at the most, and he knows how to leave an impression. And there's a lot to be said for that. So just needed to give him his uh, his due, his props, if you will, in the uh, vernacular. As for my plugs, I don't have a column up in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania this week. I just wound up not having anything to talk about and doing other things. And since I do coverage for pretty much every show that comes along, I don't feel that bad about skipping a week here or there. Uh, there is no coverage. This Hey, look, when I was doing coverage here or there, I felt 
I did a column every week, and I was happy to do it. Now it's just a little bit of the reverse. I'm doing coverage pretty much every week, so columns tend to be bi-weekly instead of every week. So that's just how things are right now, and I'm okay with it. And no one's given me grief about it, so I'm okay. But I don't have anything this week. My last column, I talked about how Roy McDonald needed an impressive win over Tarek Safadine. He apparently read it because he knocked the poor bugger out in the third round. Good for you, Roy. Hmm. Um, I host the weekly 411 Ground and Pound radio show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts, every Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Myself, uh, usually Jeff Harris. He wasn't able to be on the show last week, so it was just me. But that's in the tank. You can find all of this stuff on the Ride Legend Broadcasting Network. We tend to put it up on the Facebook page. Just search Radlich and Broadcasting. You'll find us there. We're also on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher. Again, just search Radlich. It's a pretty unique tag <laughs> in the heading. <laughs> um, tomorrow, I'm going to try and have a look at some pretty trans- some, some, sta- some substantially transitional years. On my show, everyone loves a bad guy since I'm professional wrestling. I want to try and look at what happened in the WWE following the purchase of WCW through kind of the new generation. I imagine I'll tackle for the years, WrestleMania 17 through 25 ish, uh, just as a general, as a general kind of timeline for that. So I'll try and do that, uh, next Friday or this Friday, sorry, tomorrow. And, so that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. I'm enjoying my last episode. I had Gavin Napier and Chris, uh, not Chris, Steve Cook on, and we talked about WCW from the Jim Crockett promotions through the finale and the promotion going the way of the Dodo Bird. Had a lot of fun with that, so give that a listen. And that's all I have to plug, I believe. I've not been invited back in two weeks to talk about the Mummy franchise, but that's okay. So that's it for me. I never said I didn't want to. I thought you said you didn't want to. I thought you said you didn't want you didn't want to be bothered. I, I asked you to do to do something, and you were like, "No, I don't. I don't, I don't want to do that." I don't remember what it. Was. I know it was actually the Final Destination ones. You said I'm going to be doing these <laughs> ones with Sean. I said no. I'd rather do the Mummy. Uh, okay. <laughs> of course, Ugh. I was reminded of why I said that once I watched three and four and five. I see. Uh, well, it's all right. sorry it's about okay. That. I'm not. I'm not bothered or upset by it. I'm just kind of poking fun at you. I'll be listening <laughs> Robert, the other. Robert, you have thing. to give it over. The, you have to give other people a turn, Robert Winfrey. Now, everyone has to have a turn. I you know. Have to I share. Know. Share your toys. I know. Yes. Yes. There ain't no like. fucking. Th- there ain't no fucking Thelma here. There's <laughs> no fucking Thelma here, man. <laughs> Oh, Arsenio, why have you turned into a caricature of yourself? <laughs> is I that not a thing that should have been in Final Destination? I feel like that should yeah, have been I, the inspiration for Final Destination. I think, I think the funniest thing about it, though, is you know how uh, YouTube gives you like other things you may want to watch? The, mm-hmm. first thing, the first thing on it is a thing called Blacks Without a Soul. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I I will. I have been known to go around my house singing "Jeremiah was a bullfrog" and uh, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree in the style of David Allen Greer, or as he's called in the movie, Don Nosel Simmons. God. That's oh, a... poor Jack. <laughs> <sighs> uh, okay. Well, I want to thank Robert Winfrey. 
uh, for being on the show. I also want to thank Jason Teasley for muscling his way onto the show. Uh, no, I, you're always welcome, Teasley. I tease you. I tease you. Um, I, yes, I do want to welcome the Screaming Boy podcast uh, onto the Rattle and Broadcasting Network. We are uh, slowly but surely uh, becoming a destination for content. Uh, so we'll be looking for more and more uh, folks to come and join our ranks here on the Rattle Legend uh, Broadcasting Network. More shows for your listening enjoyment. That's the idea. Um, hopefully, you know, if you, if you can't find one thing, you'll find another. And it'll be fantastic. And that's what the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network is all about, bringing happiness to the masses. Um, speaking of happiness to the masses, uh, we'll go over my schedule real quick. Um, as we said earlier, um, as we said earlier, sorry, I got distracted by something. Um, the Whiskey Rebellion is moving to Wednesdays, and then every other Thursday we either do um, Long Road to Ruin in two weeks. We'll have Gavin Napier on to do the Mummy franchise with uh, The Rock and Brendan Fraser. Uh, so look for that. Next week is the Metal Hammer of Doom. And we will be looking at um, we will be looking at the new Cannibal Corpse. So look for that. Uh, it'll be about ten o'clock at night. That's usually when we. Uh, that's usually about now when we do that. Do the Metal Hammer of Doom ten o'clock every other Thursday. Uh, there's a new Slipknot coming out October 21st, and while the schedule has been set. Uh, I may have to rearrange some things and try to get Slipknot on the calendar. But uh, for right now, we've got Cannibal Corpse and Orange Goblin uh, in the works. Um, in the works here at the Rattles and Broadcasting Network for the future Metal Hammer of Doom shows. Uh, you can also, if you enjoy me and you just can't get enough of me and I don't do nearly enough shows, you can catch, check me out on um, the... WrestleCast, the Casual Heroes WrestleCast. There's one up right now called Hello Copter. Uh, it's very funny, very funny stuff there. So give that uh, a listen to. And I believe that is. Um, so we'll be. I won't be on next week's WrestleCast though, because I will be live and in poison seeing Five Finger Death Punch, Volbeat, and Hell Yeah in Orlando. It's going to be fantastic. And now I have stalled long enough. So, for Robert Winfrey, for Jason Teasley, for the entire crew here at the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network and the Long Road to Ruin, this has been our presentation of the Final Destination Franchise Podcast. Be well, be safe, and behave. Born in the summer of his 27th year Coming home to a place he'd never been before He left yesterday behind him You might say he was born again You might say he found the key for every door When he first came to the mountains His life was far away on the road hanging by a song, but the strings already broken, and he 
Rocky Mountain High 